Hey, Carrie Shigo, and welcome to the Thick Bootcamp Podcast. Thank you. And I'm really excited for our community for a number of different reasons. We've been targeting you for an interview for a long time, so we've finally been able to jive our schedules and get together and have this conversation about this multi-generational Lyme experience that you've had in your family. But even more importantly, I have a competent co-host this week, as opposed to you know generally what I have with Matt uh, Sabatello. We have the unstoppable force with us who is uh, Cassidy Colbert. She was actually one of our earliest podcast guests. And although this episode is 300, episode 369, we, we've been friends with Cassidy actually all the way back to one of our first, uh, I think, 10 episodes. Uh, and then she finally she finally came on and was uh, our guest on episode 59. And then we were actually guests on Cassidy's podcast. I think we were one of her first um, podcast episodes. So we have this long-term relationship with uh, you know, the brilliant Cassidy Colbert in, um, and she's going to be co-hosting or actually leading this interview today. So Cassidy, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So excited to be here. So why don't we, Carrie, start with uh, your your background. Talk to us about where you grew up and uh, where you're currently living. Well, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, my dad was in the Texas Game Warden Academy when I was born. Um, we moved to Tyler, Texas. That was his first station. And my little sister was born there. We're 18 months apart. Um, my dad put in for a transfer because my allergies were so horrible out there. And we moved to Abilene. I think I was three when we moved to Abilene. And I was there until I moved 15 miles to Clyde when I met my husband. <laughs> so I live in Clyde. And it's a small, like, population 4,000. We have a four-way stop here. It's We're just a small community. Um, just Texas. Texas is my home. So, All right. So you're a Texas gal. And um, and talk to us about your family structure. Um, uh, you indicated you were married. You talked to us a little bit about your parents. Uh, are, are you also a parent and a grandparent? I am. Um, so Greg and I have two children. Tori is 30 and Brady is 26. And uh, Tori has two children, and um, Brady is dating a girl with two children. And then we just recently, uh, my husband is much older than me, and um, he had a child right out of high school that was adopted. And she found us in the last year and a half, and she has three children. And it's, that's been a wonderful thing. And then we have another girl that is like our daughter that has two children. So we have like nine grandchildren that we claim. Um, my mother has since passed, but my father is still around and he's Sorry. about 80. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're a close family. Really. So close. It sounds like you have a wonderful family from a wonderful community. And, uh, you know, and, and of course you wouldn't be on this podcast if Lyme was not a part of your family's journey. Right. And, and uh, before Cassidy starts to take you forward with this interview, can you just sort of highlight for us um, how your experience as a close family has actually also been a multi-generational experience with Lyme disease? So do you mean who all has it in our Yeah, family? yeah. So it, it's my understanding well, that your, your mom had Lyme disease, you have Lyme disease, your son has Lyme disease, and, and you actually came on our radar as a result of an article you had written for the Texas Lyme Disease Association about your son, Brady, because it turns out you were recently diagnosed with Lyme disease as well. Yes, had no clue. Even though our doctor wanted to do a tick-borne panel on me a couple of times, I had no clue that I had Lyme disease as well. So yeah, mother had Lyme disease, um, didn't know much about it back then. And then Brady got really sick and 
that's when I kind of dove into Lyme disease. And then about a year ago, I was diagnosed. So Carrie, when your mom got sick, how I'm going to stay on the multi-generational aspect for a little longer, because okay. I, I think that my family has multi-generational Lyme is my theory, but it's never been proven. So I'm very fascinated by this. So was your mom always sick growing up? Or do you remember like a point when she got sick? My mom was always sickly mm -hmm. and um, my whole life. Now I remember stories of people saying, oh, she was um, so meticulous, such a great housekeeper, did all this. But I was like, I don't know that woman. You know, she didn't feel good. She didn't have energy. Um, I do remember her getting a bite on her leg and what I think was probably a bullseye rash uh, later on, right before she was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And then it kind of went from there. But I think she had it for a very long time because yeah. I got it. So. That the fibromyalgia thing pops, uh, yeah, up. pops up for everyone, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So we'll come back to the multi-generational because I want to set the stage a little bit more. But growing up in Texas, what did you like to do? What did Carrie like to do? What did Carrie hope to do in her life? What uh, has Carrie done in her life? Yeah, well, um, you know, we lived out in the country. So it was just my sister and I most of the time. We played and we went to school. We were latchkey kids, but we didn't know it. Mom and dad both worked. And uh, just a close family. Uh, I was in sports up until high school. It was never really my thing. Um, very studious, uh, very organized. In fact, the coaches would carry me with them on the all the trips so I could organize their books and take care of things, on, you know, like that. But um, yeah, just, just a close family. We had like two TV channels most of my life, you know, out in the country. We didn't we didn't know anything. We just played, you know. That's awesome. So growing up when you were playing, I'm assuming outside most of the time, because why not when you're in Texas? What? But were ticks a thing that you guys were aware of? Or was it kind of a like, you just don't even worry about it? You know, I remember, I remember picking them off the dog. It's disgusting. But not even really aware of it. Um, my dad actually even carried a card in his wallet as a game warden warning doctors to look for tick-borne and other diseases due to the nature and I asked him the other day I said I don't remember you talking about Lyme he's like no we, didn't, we never thought a thing about it you know just never really it's not thought of here like yeah. in, in other places you know in fact they will tell you we don't have it but we do <laughs> Yes, you do. You are living proof. Yes, generations worth of living yes, proof. Yes. Well. So now back to the generational thing, since I just said that when you're when you had children, where you, since you had seen your mom kind of going through it a little bit, did you become aware of the ticks of any sort with Lyme? Like how when your son got sick, how did that play into it? Um, you know, it really still didn't think much about it when she was going to a doctor in Fort Worth and I'm assuming he was a naturopath or something. Cause dad said he could not 
do the antibiotic prescriptions. Mm-hmm. But he's the one that diagnosed her. And um, then our doctor back home, because she couldn't do the herbals, they made her so sick, is the one that actually prescribed antibiotics. And I never thought a thing about it. I, I mean, she took the antibiotics. I didn't know what it was. She took the antibiotics. I assumed she was well. And so dad didn't really play a part in me with Brady. Um, just never thought about it. Yeah. So Brady was how old when he started showing symptoms? He was 17. And you would have been? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I'm 55 now. <laughs> <laughs> so 45-ish. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. we'll go with that. <laughs> So he was in high school, going into college. Right. He was yep. senior year in high school um, when he started showing symptoms. My husband came down with the flu. And um, Brady, back then, I did flu shots for Brady, and I, I do not do that now. But anyway, we had both had that, and um, we both got sick. But he got really sick and kept getting sick. And um, so... He didn't, he recovered from that, got a sinus infection, kind of recovered from that. And then he just got really sick and started taking him to doctors. And they thought he had flu and strep tested negative for both, but they treated him for both a week later, still not better. Then I started noticing, you know, this weight loss he's been having is getting out of control. His mm. hair is falling out. His fingernails are falling off. Um, he looks terrible, you know, and I started telling Greg more is going on. Take him to the doctor again. And they thought he might, his lymph nodes were all enlarged. And she said, he may have lymphoma. We'll get you to the right place, you know, and they started all this testing and his blood work was all out of whack, his liver, his platelets, I mean, everything, but everything would come back negative, you know? So then the doctor decided to drug test him. Oh, yeah, I know. Right. And, and, and I mean, I'm just starting to go crazy going, something is wrong with my kid. You know, I start staying up all night and I, I have no energy. I'm a tired person. It's been that way all my life, but I'm staying up all night researching, you know, and my girlfriend said, what about Lyme disease? And so she had in-laws from Connecticut. So I researched that, you know, it's like flu-like symptoms and this didn't, no, that's not what he has, but I couldn't let go of it. I mean, I could not let go of it. And then I came across chronic Lyme and, you know, I printed off this huge list of symptoms. It wasn't the Horowitz checklist, but something I found somewhere else. And the next morning I'm like, okay, highlight everything you have on here. Well, whoa, way more was going on with him than I even knew. And, um, so I immediately jumped on the portal and I'm like, I want you to test him for Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. So we go in and they ran more tests and those tests came back, but nothing about the Lyme. And I I said, what about the Lyme disease? And she goes, well, honestly, I don't even know if I got that test ran or not. I just hand wrote it in because we don't, we don't run that. We don't know what it is. And I'm like, great, here we go. (laughs) Nothing, you know. Then uh, I guess it was about a week later, I received, it was on 
St. Patrick's Day in 2015, received a phone call and she said, Carrie, you were right. Um, she had done the Western blot and it came back positive. Wow. All in some doxycycline, which he had been on before they put him on that due to different um, antibiotic allergies and stuff. So I think in all, he had about 34 days of doxycycline. But other scary stuff happened in between and kind of landed us in the ER. He, um, the school called me and he had lost his vision. Um, his left side had gone numb. He was just had a terrible headache, you know, and so they put me on the phone with Brady and he's like, it's kind of past mom. I'm fine. I'll be okay. And I was like, do you want me to come get you? No, I'm fine. I'll be okay. Well, I'm scared to death. Get off the phone. The secretary, like this is a small town. We all know everybody. And she calls me back and says, Gary, he's not okay. I think he needs to go to the hospital. So we took him there and um, I told him, you know, all these tests we had done. And that was before the Lyme disease test had come back. And okay. I, I did mention Lyme, but he, they decided he just had migraines and gave him hydrocodone and sent him home. And I was like, no, no, that does not work for me. He's never had a headache. I mean, you know, the kid, pretty mean, you know. Now, Brady was like me in that he had severe allergy and sinus issues his whole life. But other than that, you know, don't give my kid hydrocodone and send him home and say, that's it. So, Yep. You're a good warrior mama. Remind oh, me of my, remind me of my mom. <laughs> Always putting your babies first. I uh, love it. it was a but, <laughs> yes. Yes. So you experienced all that. You had already experienced everything with your mom. You experienced things with Brady. Tell us about when your Lyme symptoms started coming up when you finally realized that it was Lyme symptoms because it's sounding like maybe you had some things throughout your life too. Well, yeah, I had a lot of female problems. In fact, they did a partial hysterectomy. They wouldn't take my ovaries. Yeah. <laughs> Here we I go. just had one in October. <laughs> Best thing ever, right? It really was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my sister said, aren't you sad? You won't have any more children. I'm like, girlfriend, what are you talking about? No, I'm not sad. <laughs> uh, severe allergies, nosebleeds, sinus issues, my whole life, you know. Uh, the first guy I was with before my husband actually passed away, but he used to joke, and this is when I was 19 to 21 ages, that I had old, tired blood. And my husband kind of adopted that and said, he was right. You know, you have old time, old, old tired blood. I was just always tired uh, my whole life. You know, yep. I would sleep a lot, a whole lot. My dad said when I was little, I would run kids out of my room if they had company over eight o'clock and say, it's my bedtime. You got to go home. You know, it was like, shoot, it's my bedtime. So anyway, so that's my backstory. Um, and then came COVID and I've had it several times and I just kept going downhill, just kept getting sick. The fatigue set in like pregnancy fatigue. I mean, just fatigue, headaches, spaciness. I just didn't know what was wrong with me. So I had my monthly appointment with my chiropractor, who is a lovely girl that I love. And um, actually, I told her back when she was having problems after her second child that you have Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. I was right. <laughs> so 
she had got more into everything and she was muscle testing now. And I said, sometime I want you to muscle test me. Um, something's going on. Well, I was thinking EBV. Uh, Brady and I both had mono. Like both of us had pretty bad cases of mono. And I was thinking maybe that's flaring or something, you know. So she said, we'll do it now. And she muscle tested me and she's like, Carrie, you have Lyme disease. And she said Lyme, Babesia and viruses were what was coming up, Lyme being the top. I'm like, no way. Yeah. And she ordered the vibrant labs for me. And uh, of course I do. I have Lyme, Babesia, Bartonella. I mean, you name it. And I had already started going to Brady's LLMD in Marble Falls. And she's a lovely woman. We love and adore her. But through this, I kind of went through menopause, um, blaming everything on menopause. And once, and then they discovered I had thyroid issues. By the time I got to her, you have adrenal issues, you know. And she said, uh, we may want to get a tick-borne panel on you. And I'm like, no, I'm just tired. I'm stressed out. Brady's ordeal just, you know, took me through the ringer. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Well, she mentioned it a couple of times and I never, but she was right, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I want to go back to the muscle testing, just in case there are people who don't fully understand muscle testing. I was actually with some fellow Lyme people last week, and we were all talking about that because two of us had been diagnosed via muscle testing at one point mm-hmm. or another. And I forget that people don't actually like know muscle testing sometimes. So can you explain what muscle testing is for people? Well, she holds these vials up to you, and then she like has you hold your hand out, and and depending on your resistance. And I did not know what the vials contained or anything. I mean, I was just blown away. I um, I had been interested in muscle testing when Brady was sick, um, but I didn't know anyone that did it at the time. And I thought, well, he's just not going to go for this at all, you know, but um, everything she has ever said has been spot on. I mean, spot on and she said you can confirm it through testing if you want or you can save your money for treatment well I I couldn't stand it I had to you know do the blood work and and confirm it but everything has been spot on so that's crazy I full-heartedly believe in all of that so I I love it that's how we actually uh got my dad to fully believed that I had Lyme was he came with me to a muscle testing appointment and the doctor I had my arm out and he was testing me with the vials and my arm was going down of course Uh and my dad was looking a little bit just like this is a bunch of bs the the doctor saw it and he made my dad stand up had my dad hold his arm out and had him do it my dad's arm didn't move at all then he just had my dad touch my shoulder and he did it again and his arm went whoop all the way down <laughs> and he was like my dad was in shock so muscle testing it works yes <laughs> you know I think you have to have the right person doing it you know and I and I think you have to believe a little bit too yep. you know yep I will get to uh actually we'll go to it right now treatment wise but I have I did all of the treatments I did western medicine and now I'm in more of the holistic eastern medicine herbals and things and I full-heartedly believe that you have to believe 
in whatever treatment you are going to do for it to work. The mind is so important. But so how did you first get treated and what is your treatment like now? My treatment, um, of course, I can't, we kind of went off what had worked with Brady too, because he and I are so much alike, but she started me. And so I went, of course, I was already a patient of his doctor in Marble Falls. And um, she started me on the Beyond Balance drugs. Nobody was thinking I was going to have a hard time. In fact, I kind of, even when I answered y'all's questionnaire was like, no big deal. I'm fine. Well, Lime and company said, hold my beer and watch this, you know? <laughs> so, um, I had a really tough time with the beyond balance drops. Um, it, it started out fine, but then within a couple of months on them, the brain fog, the head pressure, the just, it was horrible. And I went to my chiropractic appointment and, um, she said, you've got to stop this. And I said, no, it means it's doing good, you know? And she said, look at you, you're not doing yourself any good. You know, I was just trying to push through everything, but we didn't think I'd have problems because I had adopted so many of the lifestyle practices. Like I was gluten-free. I was very low sugar. I was exercising, um, detox baths. I did castor oil packs. Uh, I had bought a very expensive PMF unit when Brady was sick and I used it daily. Um, you know, my detox pathways were, should be open and doing good, you know, and I just, I didn't expect anything. So we stopped that kind of let all that wash and let me get back on my feet. Um, I hadn't gone back to my LMD yet and I was kind of doing cell core products through muscle testing at my chiropractor gotcha and things just went way downhill again and actually had some scary episodes uh we went back to my llmd and she clinically diagnosed me with pots and mcas um, mm -hmm. yeah so i mean just some really scary and it would have been even scarier had i not been in this community so long you know but I had some episodes where I went down, I called my daughter, thank God she lives here too. And her and the boys would come running, you know, on my episodes and take care of me. So she made me, um, she said, we poked the bear, you know, and we got to do some soothing therapies, get you calmed down. And by this point, my husband, who has been so supportive in all this, bless his heart. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> you know, he never questioned if I said, we're this is how much this costs. This is what we're doing for Brady. He's like, you're the one researching it. Go, you know, he just, so now he's putting up with me too. He said, why are you not doing weekly ozone like you did with Brady? And I said, well, cause I can't travel that far. Cause I took him every day, every week for a year and a half, you know, it was over 300 miles round trip and we'd go every Monday for IV ozone. And I go, once he was in college, I'd go pick him up at Tarleton. Then we'd go to Marble Falls, back to Tarleton, back to Clyde. You know, You're amazing. So, thank you. And he said, well, can't you do that in Abilene now, which is just 15 miles um, west of him. And I go, you know what? I think you're right. Yeah, I can. So I asked uh, my doctor about it. And she said, yes, once it calms down and I'm, I'll 
was talking about doing hyperbaric oxygen too. And she said, I think that would be great for you. And um, we've started, I, I let everything calm down. I guess in April, I started doing weekly ozone. Um, I do hyperbaric oxygen a couple of times a week. And I'm on methylene blue. Okay. Um, um, and the other thing, I'll tell you one thing that has been so amazing for me, and I would do it every week if I could afford it, but lymphatic drainage massage. I remembered how much it had helped Brady. I have my best days or few days after one of those. And that's just been really helpful for me. Yeah. So important. I just had my first ever lymphatic drainage massage last month and I need, I was life-changing for me. So it it really is like, I'm serious. The money adds up quickly, you know, but that's one thing I I wish I could do more often. I do it usually monthly. Yeah. So you just mentioned a bunch of different treatments. And for me, I consider detoxing a form of treatment. I'm curious, which one do you think worked the least? And which one do you think has been the most helpful thus far? I think you just kind of said lymphatic drainage. Yeah. Um, lymphatic drainage, um, ozone after, after I have that, I have good days. Um, I'll, I'll sleep really good that night which sleep is sometimes an issue. And Brady had, Brady had severe insomnia. Mm-hmm. And every time we'd get his IV ozone, we'd jump in the car, he'd pass out, you know, and he'd sleep good that night. That's been helpful. Although I will say like the next day, I have to be sure and time my binders and everything. Cause I've learned if I don't, that I've probably stirred up stuff and I'm going to hurt from yep. Um. Yeah, it's hard to say because I'm still having, like, I just went through um, a few weeks ago, like 10 days that were good, really good. I thought, well, I'm going to exercise. I kept the grandkids, uh, you know, went out for my birthday, all kinds of stuff, and boom, flat on my butt. I mean, just, you know, it's hard to say what is or isn't working, but at this point, I'm committed to the oxidative therapies mm-hmm. not committed to a point that if I don't see improvement that I'm going to stick with it no matter what but I remember ozone being a game changer for Brady and when I say that it's you know how when someone dies and you're close to them well at Christmas you'll think oh they were here with me last year or something that's how it was kind of in reverse with Brady um we're big hunters and stuff um, well, I get to cook, everybody else hunts. Um, and we'd go to the farm. Well, he would just, when he was sick, he would lay on the couch, not get up for the hunts. He was pale, he was lifeless. And I mean, Greg and I both would just be in tears, you know, this was not our son. Well, the next hunting season, and we're talking probably eight months into ozone at that point, he was up for the morning hunt and ready to, and we're like, wait a minute something is happening here. So it wasn't like every week he got ozone and you went, oh my gosh, he's better. It wasn't like that. It was like from one event to the next, you saw that he had made progress. Improvements. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And so was he also doing the lymphatic drainage or is that something that you started to do on your own? He was, I 
played off here my whole mind. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> hey, you have to learn. I know, right? But um, yes, I was a friend of mine, but she was about an hour and a half away from here, did lymphatic drainage at that time. And so I would load him up, take him west instead of south. You know, we'd go do that. And um, he would he would hurt afterwards, you know. Um, something else he and I both have in common is really high heart rate issues right during it and stuff I mean we both have had really high heart rate issues and he would have that after his massage you know we'd have to detox really well and stuff but yeah so I had to she was no longer doing that because she had had some illness herself so I finally found someone locally and I go for that can you describe a little bit what a lymphatic drainage massage is like, because I think a lot of people don't fully understand it. I mean, I've been part of this community for 11 years and I've heard about lymphatic drainage and I just had one for the first time last month. And what kind of, I know, are you guys, are you going to like a regular massage parlor? Is it a specialized massage parlor or a specialized doctor that's doing this? She's specialized. She actually teaches it. And I can't tell you I think there's different forms of it um, mm -hmm. but she actually flies everywhere and teaches this um, i'm very fortunate to have her yeah um, but it's just she hits in all it's in a sequence it's she knows what she's doing what she's touching where and hers is not i mean it's not rough or anything like that it's not like a regular massage though either um i don't know she's and she'll like drag and pull you know I don't know. And she'll ask me how, like, are you tender here? And she'll concentrate more on that area. And she'll, oh, we're going to hit the adrenals down here, you know. And I I don't know. I didn't think much about it the first time because I couldn't tell what could this have done. But it really does. I mean, it's life changing for me. when I'm Yeah. I, from my understanding, it's you have a bunch your body has the lymph system all over like you were talking mm -hmm. about with radies had been really swollen and so they try to pull the mm -hmm. stagnant energy and blood flow and everything to those areas and like you said it's in a special sequence and dry brushing is a form of yeah. lymph like moving the lymph system around and also um gua sha that's like the chinese medicine version of like the lymphatic massage kind of, it's the tool that they use to move it through the lymph system as right. well as what's something that I've used, but I haven't used that. I'll have to works. look into that one. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It works. Constantly I'm learning. Constantly learning that. That is the Lyme journey, isn't it? It is. It is. You just, and what works for one person may not work for another. Oh, right. Yeah. That's the weird thing about it is when you try to help somebody you don't even know where to begin because you don't know what's going to work for them you know and yeah this it's hard it's really hard yeah that leads me to a question that I love to ask people because I think it's so important because like you said like this journey can be so hard and so daunting and scary at moments especially but what part of the Lyme journey that you have been so far with, okay, I changed my mind. I'm going to make it a two-parter question. Okay. <laughs> what part of your personal Lyme journey, like just you being sick has been beautiful and taught you about like yourself? Like what has it taught you about yourself in the world? And then the part two is what has your 
generational family Lyme disease journey taught you? Well, I'm still, I'm in the throes of mine. So it's, um, it's kind of hard to find the beauty of it right now, but I know, I know it's there and I know it will. Um, it's taught me to slow down. I've, I just can't right now, you know, I can't just go, go, go like I did. Um, it's taught me to focus on God and family more. Um, Brady's, Brady's was really hard, um, but it taught me unanswered prayers or sometimes your biggest blessings. Um, when we had the infectious disease doctor deny his Lyme test and turn him loose and everything, I was so angry. Um, I, I actually filed on him with the medical board for not treating my son. Everything was there laid out in front of him and he knew it. He, you know, he said maybe in another five years with different testing, you know, my kid didn't have five years, you know, uh, but we found, so I contacted allies. Well, I cried for 24 hours, pulled up my big girl panties and, um, contacted allies and they gave me about five names in a 500 mile radius of doctors. And one of them's last name was Offit. And I'd gone to school with an Offit. I was like, hmm, this is strange. So I contacted him and he's like, that's my wife. Get, get him here. If we had not been denied, which I found I completely dropped and got off of that with the doctor that denied us. If we had not been denied treatment, we would not have gone to a place that was so beautiful, wonderful, caring. You know, she she is integrated, but she does both. Um, mm -hmm. She prefers the more natural things. We wouldn't have learned how to eat and live. And, and my son, although he might have got well somewhere else, he wouldn't have learned the life habits, you know, things the kid grew up at mcdonald's well i would not let him touch it now you know what i mean we just didn't know better and we just learned there's beautiful things there's a there's people that care there's people that are going to help you um so yeah that is the epitome of the lime community right there there are people who care and people who will support you that's i right. feel like we are so lucky to be part of this community that yes. yeah you said something right there that I've been meaning to ask you the whole time we've been talking because I'm just interested. So that is that doctor, how you got into the more like holistic -y, earthy kind of, if you, my yes. sister calls it granola -y yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> my friends call it my voodoo, you know, yeah. well, the hoodoo -y, voodoo -y doctor. That's yeah, what I call my yeah. doctor. But you know what they call me and say, I can't sleep. Do you have any voodoo? You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it magically works for everyone too. And they're like, Hmm, he is. I just love and adore her and she loved my kid when, when we went to her because when I found out about her I said Brady I found a doctor and he's like no more doctors and I said no I think this one's going to help you and he said mom this is the last one and I can cry thinking about that you know I mean just medical trauma you know all the yep. way around he loved her he would do anything she said well 
there's one thing you wouldn't do, but, <laughs> but, um, he loved her. I mean, like I could tell him, Brady, you need to be doing whatever it is. And we could argue and argue about it. And we could go into the appointment and not even talking to her or anything. He should say, I think you need to do this. And I would just look at him and he would be like, well, now we know, you know, I mean, but if she said it, you know, he would do it. And she was so kind and caring Christian, um, just a mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She's what changed our lives. So what are some of the other lifestyle changes that she made? You said no more McDonald's, but I'm curious to anything else. Well, she helped you with. Um, like, well, I'm not good at exercise right now because it tanks me. Uh, I'll try and it'll tank, but you know, exercising, getting fresh air, getting out and get morning sunlight unfiltered, you know, have to do it here. Cause I take off my glasses and I'm like, oh, I'm going to stump one fall. So I mean, <laughs> right around the property, you know, um, just food, you know, even when I thought I was one change leads to another you know, oh, let's do, okay, I'll do the natural deodorant. Well, before you know it, it's the body wash and, you know, the shampoo, just one thing with her has led to another just totally new lifestyle. That's amazing. And where would you say you are now? I hated this question. So if people always constantly ask me this question and I'll be like, (laughs) so if you don't want to answer, but like percentage, like what day are you asking me yeah that's the biggest one and I always say it changes uh it's not even day by day it's minute by minute isn't it (laughs) it is I mean right now I'm pretty good you know and that's what is terrible somebody say how you feeling oh I'm great I feel good and then tomorrow I'm on the ground you know I mean uh, we're having our I'm in the RV if you can't tell right now because we're having our house fully remodeled and got it it did find mold and so but I was down at the hardware store getting paint one day I was totally fine joking cutting up the next day out is when I had my first pots in casting I was down for three weeks I'm like and my daughter put an unapproved message on Facebook about my struggles and I, people are going to think I'm a fruitcake, you know, I was just in town. I was fine, you know, but today I am totally not fine. And I wasn't for three weeks. It just, just, I can't answer that question at this point. Yeah. Can you describe how POTS, like what POTS is for you and how it, like your journey with POTS? Cause it also like Lyme affects, I think everyone differently i'm i'm still trying to distinguish i'm pretty new at this thing what is pots what is mcas you know i think they're kind of also interwoven but yep. uh, like i got a it, there was a point we could still use the bathroom in the house he left that so i could have my detox baths until the last moment so i was in the house and i think it was probably six or eight weeks ago. I can't remember. It was on the toilet and everything was fine. And I stood up and, whoa, I don't know what just happened to me. So I hit my watch and hit my uh, heart rate and it had gone to 145. 
I did not think I would make it back to the Griffey, <laughs> um, but I did. I have never actually passed out, but I, I'm not really conscious either. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like for hours, hours, sometimes days, I'm in and out. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's getting heat. We're in Texas. It was 108 one day this week. Uh, today's supposed to be 104. Heat sets me off. I rode motorcycles last year. I rode to Florida and South Carolina the year before I rode uh, South Dakota, you know, I can't do it right now. And I miss that so much, but it would set me off. Yeah. It's it's good. You know, a trigger, but I'm so sorry that you can't do what you love to do. Morning. (laughs) What about, um, can you, so I have pots, so I have a little bit of an understanding of pots. Um, more than a little bit, but um, MCAS, I do not have. So can you explain your MCAS journey a little bit too? Well, I'm still learning about it too, but I'm trying to eat really low histamine. And I have had like hives and breakouts. So with all my allergies, I bought the local florist when Brady was little and he and I were just like, living we're sleeping with the enemy up there is what we were doing with all the pollen and stuff and I would just have hives and stuff I never really I think I've been on this journey for a while but now I mean I'll just flush get really red or get um red red breakout like on my face um it's all it's histamine related issues that I'm having so yep what about, uh, are there any Ehlers-Danlos, EDS symptoms? No. Nope. Don't say that. Something will come up. <laughs> <laughs> Something will pop up. It is yeah. commonly. Oh, well, I'm so glad we didn't have to deal with that part of it. Well, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, that was always me as well. You're like, oh, I don't have that one. And then the next week it's like, come on, man. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't catch the break. Well, yeah, POTS and MCAS, like you said, everything is so interwoven. And I always found that to be a challenging part through the Lyme journey of, okay, well, is this symptom coming from this or is this symptom coming from this? Is this symptom coming from that? With your mindset that you look into it, since you have so much awareness because you watched your mom and you had your son and now your journey, what do you, like, you know, your trigger is heat. Do you, have you figured out any other triggers or like the thing that like helps you instantaneously, like you said, the lymphatic drainage was like good, but that's not something that you could like, you have to go to somewhere and do that. Do you have anything that you do yourself? Um, I do do the Alka-Seltzer gold some Mm -hmm. hearts. Um, the PEMF machine, I, I use it, you know, if I'm feeling bad, I use it daily anyway, but I use it multiple times when I'm feeling bad. Um, I've been trying to calm and retrain my brain. I bought a brain tap unit and I've been doing brain tap at least once a day. But if I'm feeling bad, I may do it two or three times a day, you know, just trying to, trying to get out of that fight or flight. Um, I also started EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to learn ways, the breathing, that's one thing the breathing exercises do help. Yep. 
it's so funny to me because it's always like breathing. I know how to do that. And then when you finally learn how to actually do like breathing exercises and things, it's a life changer. It, it is. really is. And, and it took a while. I think I stressed myself out more with it because of like the counting. I'd be counting too fast. Or it's like, what are you doing? You're not calming yourself down. You're, <laughs> you're making things worse. Yeah. The fight or flight of it all, that like you just seem like you're you have so much knowledge like you're only I say only I don't mean that in like a you're only but like two years into this three years into this for yourself Mm -hmm. and I just like from my perspective you're doing so great just with like you you have the tools you you are yards away from other people from their starting point with that knowledge that you have and treating your fight or flight is so so important and how did you get onto that like oh I need to ch- I need to fix this oh like this is one of my favorite podcasts and I listen to it you know I'm gonna run out of episodes one of these days but I um and then listening to other doctors and reading about it and I just searched I'm gonna and actually I found a therapist that I love she takes my insurance like we don't hear that that does not happen you know with anything we do and uh, so that was you know I was like okay what for sure I'm gonna do that you know that's I'm just doing Greg told me one day he said nobody can say you don't try and he said you know Brady didn't try so hard well Brady didn't have to he had me you know and um I was, I was going to do anything and everything for him, but I have to, I don't want to, Greg is 12 and a half years older than me. We were living our best life, you know, every, every year riding, going somewhere new. And, um, I don't want to slow that down. I don't want to take those years from him while he's, you know, still capable and everything. I, I want to get better. I want to get back on living my life and stuff. So, yeah, I love it. I'm getting teary eyed. I'm like, I know, I- <laughs> <laughs> it's too early in the morning for this. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but that, yeah, you're just, you didn't give up for your son. You didn't, you haven't given up for yourself and you're doing all of the things that you need to be doing. And that leads me to like, how now that you are in this community for yourself you're already in it for your son and your mom what are you being called to do with all of this knowledge that you are now learning in this experience that you're going through I don't know yet I mean I know I see people all I want to do something I mean I never it's funny when when I was diagnosed I had never quit praying for a cure praying for help and praying show me a way to advocate and help I'm like wait this isn't what I meant you know I know he's gonna show me what I need to do I know and I see people all the time that I'm like okay wait you have Lyme disease you know but I you can't just walk up to people and say I don't know I'll figure it out yes (laughs) you have to have a little more energy and stuff for it but I will figure it out take care of yourself first and then take on the world that's right. That's yeah. right. I just a funny little tidbit. I also fully believe every person I see, I'm like, you have Lyme disease. I know, and right. my, fa- my family always is like, Cassie, you can't just say that to everyone. I'm like, I've never been wrong so far. 
I know. <laughs> That's all right? I gotta say. <laughs> I know. I know. That's no. But you can't just go up to people. <laughs> but then I feel guilty. But then it's so it's so crazy, you know. How do you introduce that world to them? Like why I feel guilty sending somebody down that rabbit hole too. Yes. Well, but let, let me let me let me add something, folks. Um, I, I've been uh-huh. loving this interview, and I've been uh, I've been enjoying your conversation. But I do want to encourage you, and I want to encourage folks who are listening to this podcast and in this community to walk up to people who you believe have Lyme disease and share with them that you believe that they have Lyme disease. And I'm going to make that argument in, on, on two different levels. First level is we've actually learned to call um, Lyme disease the supermarket diagnosis um, disease because. Uh, Phyllis Bedford, who was one of our guests uh, a couple of months back, has argued that more people are diagnosed in the supermarket than they are in the doctor's office, right? Absolutely. 100%. I think if if we're we're going to do what it is that we're called to do as good people, uh, if we notice that someone is suffering from a disease that they can begin to manage once they have a diagnosis, because you can't overcome a problem until you understand what the problem is, we have to approach people and we have to let them know that they have the, the, the disease, but even more importantly, it's more likely they're going to get diagnosed from somebody in the community than they are going to be in their doctor's office, right? So we really have to do that. But there's a second piece to this. And the second piece to this, I think, sort of like ties this podcast together is um, you're from a family, both of you are from families that have a multi-generational Lyme disease, right? And part of the reason why so many people in your families have been sick is because you didn't have the knowledge that you needed to protect yourself. Right. You didn't understand what was developing. And you ultimately, uh, your, your shortcut, your, Terry, your, your journey is a little bit shorter because you now have this actionable information, right? Because in order to be able to be successful in overcoming anything, we have to be aware of it, right? We have to cognitively be aware of it. We have to feel it or we have to, we have to emotionally believe it. And then ultimately we have to take action, right? And we're not gonna be able to take action until we get through that process of of cognitive, emotional, and then physical uh, action, right? So uh, by by now having the knowledge both of your families have, you can end this cycle of disease that's going from generation to generation to generation, but that only happens if you're aware. It has to begin with the awareness phase. So I want to encourage the two of you to do what it is that you're a little uncomfortable with doing. And that is walk up to somebody who has Lyme disease or you think have Lyme disease and say to them, I think you may have Lyme disease. And I think this is something you may want to focus on because that's going to improve their life. And I have done that. And I have been right. And then like Cassidy was saying, she she has too. So I always, uh, my way that I go about those situations sometimes is, I, if I hear someone talking about some sort of illness journey that they are going through that so clearly to me and probably to both of you would be like, that's Lyme disease. I will share something kind of along the lines of like, oh yeah, like I've had, I've experienced that symptom that you're talking about before. And then they're like, oh, how, like, what did you do? And I'm like, actually it's a symptom of Lyme or one of my other tick-borne illnesses or my endometriosis or something like that. And then I always say my one line is I say, yeah, my mass, like motto is if they're trying to die, if you're sick with something and they're trying to diagnose you and they're putting you in like a um, round, what's that, a square peg in a round hole, like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not fitting perfectly, you have Lyme disease. Cause that's how everyone that I know their experience has been is that they got misdiagnosed with something and they 
the medicine didn't fully work. It would treat some aspects of it, but not all of it or something else. So then yeah. you get a, an extra diagnosis and it's like, but if you actually just put it all under the lime. Right. You know, and Cassie, the other piece in that is that there are many people who are diagnosed with different diseases. And we're always really careful about, you know, introducing these topics to the community. So, for example, when we uh, you know, interviewed uh, Dr. Ava Shapi, who was making a very powerful connection between breast cancer and Lyme disease, or we introduced, um, you know, Dr. Alan McDonald, who's introducing a very strong connection between Lewy body dementia and Lyme disease. And we and we and we start to introduce these topics. One of the things that happens in the community, especially in the social media communities, oh no, now you're telling me I'm going to get this and this and this and this, right? And 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 when we're when we're highlighting these issues, we're not high, highlighting these issues because we want to scare people. We're highlighting these issues because in many cases, the cause of these other diseases is Lyme disease. And if you treat the Lyme, then you have a, a greater likelihood of overcoming these other diseases. And that's what people like Dr. Shoppy and Dr. McDonald are demonstrating to the community, but it, because it's so painful and there are so many triggers that are bringing us into fight or flight, um, it, it is it is difficult to try to strike that balance, right? But we, we, we do have to create not just the awareness of the symptoms of chronic Lyme disease, but we also have to cre create awareness about the other manifestations because in many cases, people will be able to overcome their illnesses if they're properly diagnosed with Lyme, rather than with a manifestation such as breast cancer and or or Lewy body dementia, right? Sure. So we have to we have to we have to be aggressive, and we do have to play the role that we play. Now, there's another piece that I want to discuss with you, the two of you, and that is the definition of Lyme disease, right? Another one of the big problems that we have in this community is there is no consistent definition of Lyme disease, right? And that's why we see people getting into these debates about, you know, whether or not you have Lyme disease or you don't have Lyme disease, which of course leads to that medical gaslighting and 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 um, and all these other challenges that you are that you're facing. And uh, we we interviewed um, Dr. Tanya Dempsey uh, last Thursday. She her episode will actually be three sixty eight, and I urge everyone to listen to that. It was a great episode, and she and I had this really feisty debate. A really, really brilliant woman, and um, and, and part of what we were debating about was was the definition of Lyme disease, right? And uh, Dr. Alan McDonald, for example, who, as you can tell, we are very fond of here at Tick Boot Camp, he wrote an article for LymeDisease.org that argued that we should divorce from the word Lyme. We should not be using the word Lyme disease. We should we should uh, we should be describing these illnesses differently, right? And I had a nice debate with Dr. McDonald about that. And then follow up uh, many, many months later, a debate with Dr. Dr. Um, Dempsey, where I argue we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, divorce from the word Lyme disease because an entire world has built around that. Mm -hmm. We should just take control of the definition, right? And in, in our view here at Tick Bootcamp, we believe that Lyme disease is a polymicrobial, multisystemic, chronic infectious disease. And that's the definition of Lyme disease. And unfortunately, because there isn't a consistent definition for Lyme disease, doctors, especially doctors who are not Lyme literate medical doctors, struggle with diagnosing the disease because although all of those, um, all of that symptomology may be available to them, because they're trained, if at all, that Lyme disease is a disease caused by a single bacteria, which will have generally, you know, um, arthritic uh, symptomology with, you know, a bullseye rash, um, they don't have a proper definition, so they can't diagnose it. So I'm going to argue the two of you first, first of all, to uh, make sure that we continue to force 
the, 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 the community to define this as a chronic disease that is manifested from a polymicrobial multisystemic infection. Um, and secondly, continue now to do the things that I'm urging the two of you to do, which is to approach folks when we know they have Lyme disease because their doctors don't even have a definition that they can use to define, to define disease. Whereas when we're in the community and we learn on, enough about this, we see it immediately. We know that it's there. We know that it's right. And as Cassidy had just said, She's never been wrong, right? Never. So, uh, so you know, I, I think because we don't have a definition that everybody's agreeing um, to utilize, that we have to be the folks going out there and helping helping others learn that they have this disease. I think we need to call Miriam Webster up and have them make that the new definition in the dictionary because it's the the multi systemic aspect that I think so many people, especially doctors miss. And I also think as we're talking about going up to the people in the supermarkets, doctors, like I, I have a lot of people in my life that are, are doctors already or are becoming doctors. And I will explain to them because you are probably seeing a patient and you think it's being treated for something else. And they now might be able to be like, actually, I think that that might be Lyme because they're not, like you said, they're, this is what they're taught in their textbooks that they go to medical school for. It is a caused by a tick bite. Nick can cause flu-like symptoms. That is not the full picture. That's it's, it's not the picture, right? Because, you know, there, there are a lot of people that debate about whether or not Lyme is a chronic disease. Our position is it's only a chronic disease. It is not an acute disease. It's only a chronic disease. And if you're not chronically ill, you do not have Lyme disease. Yeah. You may have Borreliosis, acute Borreliosis, but you don't have Lyme disease, right? And that's the that's the issue, right? And again, just to support Cassidy, the argument you were just making when we when we interviewed Dr. Uh, Dempsey, who's a when I tell you a brilliant, brilliant human being, right? She went to Cornell University as an undergrad, Ivy League educated undergrad. She went to Johns Hopkins Medical School, one of the top medical schools in the country. She did her she did her um, post grad work at NYU. I mean, you're talking about somebody who's gone to the top schools in the world. She, she, she has a practice in upstate New York and, and she's treating many, many people with, uh, with Lyme disease. It's, again, a brilliant doctor. And she goes to a Horowitz, a Dr. Horowitz. Um, um, she actually goes to a seminar where she's teaching and, um, and Horowitz teaches at, at the same seminar and he starts teaching Lyme disease. And then she approaches him and she says to him, hey, Dr. Horowitz, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, I may have many more people and she gave some percentage of people. And he said, no. Almost all of your patients have Lyme disease. And that opened her eyes. And, and she went from not having the frameworks to see that these people have Lyme disease to then having her eyes open to having that framework. But unfortunately, she didn't have the educational experience that allowed her to even see that all these patients. Were. Now she's one of the top LLMDs, certainly uh, on the East Coast and maybe in the country, because she had now that, uh, you know, that, that, that awakening experience with Dr. Horowitz, right? So, you know, it is important for those of us who have, uh, as you were just pointing out, Cassidy, who have this foundation to make sure that we're also uh, proselytizing to doctors and we're letting the doctors know that whatever it is that you have been taught about Lyme disease, and it's probably very little, the definition is a polymicrobial multisystemic chronic infectious disease. And if yep. they have that framework, just as a basic framework, they're more likely to be able to now see what it is that's there for them to see. But of course, remember, beliefs control what we can see or can't see. Uh, then they're in a position where they can do a better job. So, Terry, what, what are your thoughts about that? I agree. I agree. Um, and I also want to say, 
I think more people have Lyme than not. Their systems are just managing it. And it's not, it's not just the Lyme. It's everything, you know, and it's, it's when, it's when your system is overloaded, you know, uh, Brady and I both were blood donors, both of us. And like, I've, I like to never got them to quit calling. I, oh, we have Lyme. They just kept calling them more, you know, they didn't, they don't know. They don't, you know, I just think it's way more common and then, than people realize. Yeah, and, and 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 as our as as climate change brings more ticks to more parts of the world, we are we are finding ourselves in a position where where the endemic, uh, you know, the endemic nature of this disease is 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 affecting everyone, right? We, we did an interview with Dr. Bill Rawls, and one of the things he said to me during uh, during the interview, as a Long Islander, as a New Yorker who who grew up on Long Island, he said, "I guarantee you that if we had a if we had a Lyme disease test." that could accurately uh, test for Lyme disease, more than 90% of the people in your community would have Lyme disease, right? And he's right, and we know that, right? Because when you live on Long Island and you've been bitten by ticks many, many times, and I guess I've been bitten by ticks more times than, than I could even count, um, you know, and that's everybody in our community, then, then we are all harboring, uh, you know, these, these bacteria, these viruses, these protozoa, and in some cases, our immune system can manage it. And in some cases, our immune system can't. And when it can't, that's when we become chronically ill, right? So, so, yep. so it is. Uh, it is everywhere. It is. It is. Uh, everybody's coming in contact with it. And you know, the research. The research, I think, is very clearly demonstrating, Carrie, as you had argued, that almost everyone has Lyme disease. The question really is, um, you know, whether it's going to ultimately spill over and the pot's going to boil over again, to use Dr. Rawls's uh, metaphor, and ultimately we become chronically ill, right? Right. Yep. I was just going to bring this up. So Rich, I'm glad you read my mind um, about how Carrie, you had said that you don't have ticks or Lyme in Texas. Yeah. And that's just <laughs> like, so I grew up in Maryland and I'm on the East coast. So it's more known, I think here, but I grew up knowing people who had Lyme and like close family friends who had Lyme. The person that first gave me treatment was a friend of ours who is an ER doctor who had chronic Lyme. Her family all had chronic Lyme. And so I was lucky in that sense. But where you are, besides your mom, did you know of other people growing up with Lyme or what is like in your community with the four-way stop? I also grew up in a small community. We have two <laughs> stoplights. But um, like, did were there more people that you knew growing up or is, has it just been as far as you know, your family? Not growing up, but since Brady was diagnosed, um, I've had a lot more people reaching out to me and I've kind of, the community has grown. The people, the people we know grows and uh, you hear more all the time. I will say I wasn't involved with mom as much because I didn't know. I was one of those mm -hmm. people that didn't know. And then ultimately she had her few months of antibiotics and it was never mentioned again, you know, then it went to rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, every pill in the world, which ultimately killed her. But so I wasn't as aware or as involved as I should. I feel really, really bad about that now. I wish I would have realized what was going on with her and fought like I did with Brady. So, but yeah, now I know lots of people 
and I, a lot more, like I say, have it. So. Well, yeah. I, I'd, I'd argue that probably more people had it than you knew. You just now see it because you right. know what it is, right? So, so, and, you know, and I also think it's important for those of you who are, uh, you know, like, I'm not a hunter, I'm not an outdoorsman, it's not my thing. Uh, and, and again, I don't say that with any judgment. Um, the, the, but, you know, people in the hunting community need to be more aware of ticks and tick diseases so that they can protect themselves, right? Because there was, there was a case, there was a case here in, in the, in the recent past, well, there was a hunter who went hunting, he came home and, um, and uh, uh, he had a tick, uh, he had a tick on his, on his clothing and a infant was bitten by the tick and and suffered from the Powassan uh, virus and almost died, right? So, and we know fifteen percent of the people who, who 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 contract that virus die. So, you know, when you're when you're, I think when you're a a hunter um, or you're you know you're a conservationist, you know, one of the things you really need to do is be responsible, not just responsible to the you know to the community, um, you know, to the to the animal community, but also responsible. To your own family, right? To keep yourself healthy and keep your family healthy, because if you're out in the outdoors and you're hunting and you're going on the hunt the way your son was able to after you know a year of of ozone, um, you know you have to also now make sure that you're not getting reinfected, and more importantly, bringing back to the next generation uh, that that disease, which is sort of the the hopeful way. I want to I want to tie this uh, podcast together, right? Because because there is a lot of hope here, Carrie. Right? Part of what we talked about is now. <laughs> you now have the information that you and folks in your community need in order to be aware of this disease and the steps that you can take, that your journey is going to, your healing journey, your recovery journey is going to be shorter because you had these experience as a, as a uh, helicopter mom learning everything she needed to learn about Brady in order for him to be able to get healthy. But then there's this last piece of it, right? And the last piece of it is that it's really knowledge that will allow us not only to have a shorter journey to recovery, but it's going to stop the next generation from getting sick, right? And you're a grandma now, right? You have now the fourth generation and your family now has the information it needs to make sure that these babies don't get sick. So right. I didn't talk about that, how your lives are now very different and how you're able to protect these children in a way your mom couldn't protect you and you weren't able to protect Brady. Well, um, so Hudson and Gentry are my two little ones that live here in Clyde and I'm Yaya, okay? I'm over here all the time and like they were pl playing in the leaves or something and I'm like okay we got to check for ticks you know even the five-year-old is aware of ticks to the <laughs> my daughter says now don't make him paranoid about them you know but um he knows what they are you know he knows what's going on and he doesn't um I don't think he's paranoid about them at all i don't so, think there's anything wrong with being paranoid about ticks i think that's a well, good I, yeah i know yeah you're right you know but we have to teach them and that was something that was never taught to me you know we just did not know did not realize and they're gonna know if they're around me so but the, i mean the other thing that you you've done i think is very powerfully is you argue that there are other ways that lyme disease can be passed on right i mean we here at tick we can't talk about the four ways you can get lyme disease of course first is a tick bite right and, and a tick bite is the most likely way that you'll get Lyme disease, but you can get Lyme disease congenitally as well, right? You can pass that on to your children. Um, you can get Lyme disease from, from, a, um, from a blood transfusion, right? And you talked about how you were healthy blood donors and mm -hmm. as healthy blood donors, you didn't know that you were, you were passing these microbes onto other people who were, you know, who you were trying to help as, um, as blood donors. So, you know, we have more information about the different ways that Lyme disease can be passed on. And of course, then there's the last piece, which is 
Um, it can be sexually transmitted, right? And we can be responsible partners uh, and make sure that our partners are not getting uh, getting the disease when we're aware of it and recognize that we pass on it. So this information that we now have and this knowledge we have, it allows us to be better partners. It allows us to be more responsible when it comes to being blood donors and receiving receiving blood donations. We we can be uh, you know we can be careful and make sure we're taking proper precautions when we're you know when we're engaging in our family planning. But most importantly, we can make sure that we're checking ourselves regularly. And you know, one of the things, Carrie, that I, I will tell you, as the son of a helicopter parent who grew up in, uh, you know, in a tick endemic community, I we we've been dealing with ticks our entire lives, right? right. Tick checks were a regular part of my life right. uh, from when I was a child, and I'm an old man. I'm 60 years old, and we were we were checking from when we were when we were when we were, we were young. When you walked into my house as a as a child, there was a vat of Vaseline and a tweezer on a shelf when you walked in our house as a reminder that you need to check yourself and we need to check our dogs and make sure we take them off. Now we now know that we shouldn't be using Vaseline, but you know, but quite frankly, despite that being a bad technique for removing ticks, it made us aware of the, you know, of the existence of ticks. It made us aware that we had to be checking. And you know, Matt Sabatello calls me the tick magnet because I find ticks on me all the time. And what I argue to Matt is I'm not a tick magnet, I'm a tick checker. And because I had the experience that I had during my childhood, where we were dealing with ticks and we were checking with ticks all the time, I think it's the reason why I've never contracted Lyme disease, despite being bitten many, many times, because I find the ticks very, very quickly. Right. And I'm aware of them. And I'm paranoid about them, right? And again, I'll share one last piece with you, just again, to support, you know, the, the more inspirational part of this is how knowledge puts us in a position where we can break this pattern, is I was at my sister's house last um, this weekend for Father's Day. And uh, you know, we have we have this tick endemic community. I was playing with playing with a dog, and I walked over and I saw high grass where the ball had gone into, and I just knew there were going to be ticks there. But I had to get the ball, so I walked over to get the ball, and 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 as soon as I looked down on my leg, I found a tick on my leg. Right, but I knew to be aware of it. I knew where they were going to be. I knew yeah. it was likely, and I found the tick crawling on me as soon as it grabbed me. Right, so it's it's you know if if you have this awareness, if you have this paranoia. And you're, you know, and you're, you, you can see these things happening before. So the tick never even got to bite me because I, I pulled it off me immediately as soon as it started crawling on me, right? So these are the kinds of things. Now that we have this knowledge about how the disease can be transmitted and we have a definition of this disease, we can take precautions where we can not only protect our children, but we can put them in a position where they can now learn the skills they need so that they will not get sick. And thankfully, Kerry, you're doing that for your grandchildren. And thankfully, all this knowledge is now being passed on so that these people will not have to deal with this, you know, this, this terrible disease. Yes. I have one, one little caveat with that too, a little, but not only just for your grandchildren, but by coming on here and speaking about it, you're helping thousands of other people learn this knowledge and stuff. The amount of texts, Facebook messages, DMs that me and my mom have gotten over the last 11 years of someone being like, I found a tick on me. What do I do? Or I have this because we talk about it. Like you right. just, and that's what you're doing. You're talking about it. And that's how people, that's how you learn. That's how you find out things. And like, um, like learning in order to be a successful Lyme patient, big part of it is you're learning the entire journey. You are learning about yourself. You are learning about the systems that we live within. You are learning about the illness. You are learning about the medical world. Unfortunately, you're learning about insurance. Oh, but yes. it's a learning journey as well as a physical journey. 
Well, sure. so and it's also now let's let's get to that piece, right? Because let, let's talk about mindset. Because one of the things I think is beautiful about the conversation the two of you are having is you are having this conversation about mindset and what mindset you need to have in order to be able to recover, right? And 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 there are a lot of different ways of identifying, right? And one of the things we're always concerned about is whether or not you are identifying with your disease, whether you're identifying as a Lyme patient, right? Whereas if you're identifying as a learner then you have a healthy mindset. Then you can constantly go through this process of trial and error because remember, this disease presents differently in every single human being, right? There's a yeah. different, you know, we, we, we all have a different microbe load that we're walking around with before we ever even come in contact with, uh, with these, with these uh, vector um, microbes, right? So we have, we, we all are bio-individuals, right? And then of course, when we get bitten by a tick, that tick is going to be spitting in many more microbes than we can even count, right? Uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, some of the research shows that you can have 200 different microbes spit into you when a tick bites you, yet we've only defined 19 different microbes, right? So, the, so what's going to happen is we're going to have this permutation of many, many different bites. We're going to have a whole bunch of microbes that we're picking up, whether it be, whether it be viruses or, or germs or, you know, different things that we're, that we're just coming in contact with during the course of our lives. Our body is managing it until it can't manage it, right? And it's going to present differently in every one of us, right? So because it's going to present differently in every one of us, and we don't have doctors that can even define this disease, we have to go through this process of trial and error on our own, right? We have to take responsibility, respond with ability ourselves. And that's what the trial and error process is. And Kerry, you described so beautifully how you've gone through trial and error and trial and error and trial and error until you found what works for you. But you got some insight because you were you were taking care of your son, but your son is different than you are too, right? Although there are similarities and you're biologically similar, we live in the same community, there are differences, right? So some of the things that work for Brady work for Brady and some of the things that work for Brady didn't work for Carrie, right? And the trial and error process is working for you. And that's really the key to recovery. So I'd really love both of you to react to that mindset or identity as a learner and how that's an important, in fact, maybe even the most important thing that, that you should take with you on your Lyme disease journey? I think it's just a positive way to look at it instead of looking at it as the uh, identifying with the Lyme all the time, you know, we, and we are, we're learning all the time and things change and just, you know, like you said, what works for one person doesn't work for the next. And we just have to continually evolve and not, not let Lyme define you. I mean, it's a, it's a chapter in your life. It's not the whole story, you know, keep learning, keep changing, keep evolving with it. I love that. I can remember when I was a teenager going through this, um, me and a group of us created some sort of video thing. You can probably find it in the depths of YouTube somewhere. Um, <laughs> and we all, like the ending of it was all of us saying, I have Lyme disease, but Lyme disease does not have me. We thought we were so clever with that one. That but cool. it was very true. Just like the, and that took something for me. So you said you were doing EDMR. Um, e EDMR? EM yes. EMDR. EMDR. I was like, yeah. EDMR does not sound like that's the, um, EMDR. Like that. Yeah. Um, and I was looking into that. And over the past couple of years, I have addressed more of my trauma that has come with the Lyme journey and that kind of mindset and switching from that because I was very much stuck in the, I have Lyme disease mm -hmm. and this is my entire personality and trying to get out of the patient mindset right. into look at all I have learned. Now I use all of the tools that I have and I am on the other side. And I have, like my mom always says it to me and I 
say it to myself too. And I've had doctors say to me, like, I don't think there's anyone else that probably knows their body as well as I know my body. Like I can tell exactly when, like what I need at what moment, what foods are going to be helpful, what's not going to be helpful, what will happen to me if I have a certain thing or I don't have a certain thing. And just like, and I think that is one of the greatest gifts that the Lyme journey has given is that like you become so close with your own body in ways that other people cannot fully understand because you are fighting this journey together, you and your body. It is a fight. And you, you're right. You know your body so well after you do this. Uh, remember one time in one of my groups, a question was asked, um, aren't you fearful? Are you fearful of cancer now that you've had Lyme? And I said, and this is before I knew about me. Uh, and I answered it and I said, no, I choose not to go there. I choose to think because he's had Lyme, we've had to take, change our lives and make such healthier decisions and stuff that that's not going to be an option. You know, I, you, you can't, you can't go down the fear hole all the time. You know, you've got to think, well, look, he's doing so many healthy things now he's changed his life, you know, and yeah, mindset and the way you think about things. And that's why the neural retraining is so important. Um, you know, and, and the question always is, when do you do that, right? And, you know, we here at Tick Bootcamp talk a lot about the patterns that we've observed. And I'm going to run one pattern by you that we've we've observed and we're going to be building out in another podcast Matt and I are developing called the Lime Freedom Formula. And um, one of the things we observe from the people who are successful, because we are bio-individuals, we do have a different permutation of these germs in our body. We do have a different, um, we do have a different soil uh, that these seeds are or are not growing growing in us. Right? We're all different, right? But there are some patterns that we've seen of success when people are on their recovery journey, right? We don't use the word cure here at Tick Bootcamp. We use, we use the word recovery, right? And what we've seen is this, there seems to be a four-step process that folks are using to get to recovery. And the first step, we call this our parm. Uh, Matt and I are both Italian, so of course Parmesan is going to come in, right? So, so P is going to be for prehabilitation. Meaning before you go on this journey of, of dealing with the microbes that are causing you to be chronically ill, you have to prepare yourself for this. You have to prepare your body for this. You have to prepare your mind for this. You have to prepare your, your, yourself emotionally for this. And that's the prehabilitation phase. Then we see people going on a second phase, which we call the assist phase. We don't call that kill. We call this assist because we know our immune system has to win the battle. And what we do is we, 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 assist, our immune, uh, we assist our immune system uh, with, various, with various tools. Then we then then we have, and we have our uh, our rehabilitation phase. We are now going through this rehabilitation, and what we're finding is that that neural retraining is generally most effective at that phase, the rehabilitation phase. But we now have to go through this neural retraining because we had this neurological system that was built in a way that served us while we were sick, but isn't serving us any longer. That we've now been able to. Uh, we, we've been able to manage these microbes. And then we go, of course, into the maintenance phase, which is PARM, right? Prehabilitation, assist, um, rehab, and then, and, then, uh, and then maintain. Give me your thoughts about that framework that Matt and I are developing and whether or not that's consistent with what you've seen in the community of folks who have, uh, who have had uh, some success in uh, recovering from this disease. I think it can be different with everyone. And I agree, uh, like in a perfect model, that that would be it. Uh, I myself have had several traumas that I have pushed down. I'm okay. I can do this, you know. Um, and, and I just kept putting them, I'm talking 
you know, 30, over 30 years of, of some really bad stuff. And I decided I'm going to dive into it or I'm not going to get better. I mean, I felt like I need to go ahead and start tackling some of this now in order to get better. So I think in, in a perfect world, I like, I like your sequence there. But then I think sometimes, like you say, we're bio-individual, we have different baggage. And so sometimes you just need to decide where that needs to come in for you too. For sure. For sure. So, you know, one of the, one of the other things I want to talk to you about is risk, right? We talked about, uh, we talked about Lyme disease and, and the risks of Lyme disease, right? And um, General Stanley McChrystal wrote a book entitled Risk. And what he said is risk is a formula. It's threat times vulnerability, right? And what, we, what we've seen on this podcast is that the risk of Lyme disease is increasing in part because the threat of coming in contact with the, the microbes is increasing, right? There are more ticks, they are in more places, there are more ways of it being passed on, whether it be congenitally or through sexual transmission or through uh, blood transfusion, right? So the risk is increasing um, as a result of the threat increasing. But then we have this vulnerability piece, right? Which is, which is uh, you talked a little bit about, Perry, about some of the lifestyle, either decisions we're making or cultural lifestyle issues that we're dealing with that are making us more vulnerable to getting, becoming chronically ill, the pot boiling over because of our diet, because of because of the mold that we're coming in contact, because of all the chemicals we're coming in contact with, right? So it's a combination of these two different things, both the threat and the and the vulnerability. And, and the reason I'm raising this during during this part of our conversation, Carrie, is because part of the vulnerability is trauma that we've not been managing, you know, through the course of our lives. And that's a part of our that's a part of our terrain, right? It's not just our physical terrain with the microbes that we're that we're that we're harboring. It's not just the you know the lifestyle decisions that we're we're making in the classic American diet where McDonald's is uh, you know is is, is the, the meal of choice. But we also have we also have um, you know we're living we're living in a world where there there is a lot of um, there, there there are a lot of stresses, emotional stresses. And if we don't deal with those emotional stresses, our terrain is more likely to make us vulnerable to becoming chronically ill, right? So my, 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 my argument to you would be is during the prehabilitation phase of, of, um, of this framework that we've had, it may look different for me because I may not have had the same emotional traumas that you've had, but it may be different from you. But I agree with you that it's something that we have to deal with from the standpoint of understanding that it's both the threat and the vulnerability coming together that's causing the pot boiling over and making us sick. So give me your reaction to that, 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 um, that yes, each one of us is going to have a different terrain and each one of us is going to have different vulnerabilities. And do you think perhaps at the prehabilitation phase, it's important for us to understand, um, you know, what kinds of things we have to deal with that made us vulnerable to the illness before we get to the phase where we're now trying to, to um, help our immune system kill these bugs? Yeah, I think that that would be a great model to go by you know understanding in the beginning wait a minute these are the steps this is what made me where i am but i'm going to tell you with brady i didn't do that i wish i was like kill you know i was in kill mode with him i wish i knew then what i know now because i don't i don't have that just kill mindset at all you know you've got to the prehab prehabilitation is I think very important and sitting down saying, oh, what, what, what is my soup made of, you know? Right. 
what's in my pot right here. So, so there's another piece of that, Carrie, which I, I you know, you, you, I wanted to talk to you about because you and Cassidy were talking about the fight or flight versus rest and digest, right? And when you're in fight or flight, what the limitations are of our capacity, right? And and why we rush to kill right away, especially when we see our children, um, you know, sick, right? Because what what happens is it becomes triggering, right? And and what 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 happens when we trigger from the rest and digest or the cognitive or executive functions of our brain to the fight or flight portions of our brain, we can only do five things. We can fight, flight, freeze, faint, fawn, right? And you were a mom. And what were you doing? You were fighting, you were killing, right? And we have to resist that. And we have to understand how our brain works. And we have a binary brain. We have to understand that when, when, we are, when we are triggered and we're in that fight or fight phase, and that could be because of traumas that we're harboring. It could be because of, you know, because what, what trauma is going to do is it's going to make us more sensitive to the triggers. And we're going to, it's more likely that we're going to be, get into that triggering phase. As a parent, of course, we're now going to want to fight. But as a but as a person who is on a healing journey, we know that our immune system doesn't function when we're in fight or flight, right? We can't heal when we're in fight or flight. So another part of this journey has to be making sure that we are letting folks know in the community, <laughs> excuse me, that the emotional element of this journey is as important, if not more important, than the physiological element of the journey. Because if you're not in a position where you understand you have a binary brain, you don't understand that you can be triggered into fight or flight and that your, your triggers are much more sensitive when you have bugs in your brain, when you're suffering from, from uh, medical gaslighting, when you're suffering from doctors who don't have the capacity to keep their promise, which is, remember, medical community promises, we come in, they'll diagnose us, they'll give us a pill and make us better. And, and, and it's a lie, right? So when we, when we suffer all those traumas in this experience, and then we're carrying all those other traumas that we had during the course of our lives with us, we become, we almost have this hair trigger into fight or flight, which then puts us in a position where uh, where we then can't heal, right? Because we're-, we're, we're Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was so there from fighting doctors and bugs and the system, you know, it was just- I lived in fight or flight and uh, people, I mean, I almost felt like a Munchausen mom or something, you know, like nobody was going to believe me. Well, nobody was doing anything, you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you think something's wrong with your kid, there probably is. And you need to trust your mommy gut because that child was part of you. And don't let, and I tell my daughter this, you know, if you think something's wrong with those babies, don't let me tell you they're fine. That's just my opinion. You know, if you think something's wrong, there probably is something wrong. And, okay, you know, Carrie, and you're, hit, you're hitting it right on the head, right? What, what Cassidy shared with our listeners during this podcast, as she always brilliantly does, is you know your body better than anyone else. But the person who may know your body better than you is your mom. Right. <laughs> and, and, and let's let's talk about that last piece. I'd like to sort of tie up our, our podcast here. We're talking about that last piece because another observation I was making, Carrie, quite frankly, both from reviewing your 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 questionnaire and the conversation that you were you were having with Cassidy. And by the way, this is such a beautiful conversation you were having is what my gut was telling me was that the reason you ultimately became chronically ill yourself is because you were in fight or flight when you were helping your son go through his battle. Right. And I think I think you probably had managed this disease or what would be a disease, all of these microbes for many, many, many years. 
And then you were now in this battle of trying to protect your son. And you're now sharing with us, you were concerned that you were going to be essentially accused of abusing your child by making up an illness that he really did have, right? You, this Munchausen's piece, right? You were concerned that, you know, your son was not going to be given the proper care. You were in overdrive trying to find the resources necessary to get him better. And what happened after you got, after you got him better, you got sick, right? right. And I, yeah. and I, and I really believe, you know, uh, you know, one of the, one of the important lessons here is that, it, and maybe the most important lesson you just, you just taught us, which is if you're a mom and you believe your kid is sick, your kid is sick, right? Yeah. And and what you need to do is you need to trust yourself so that you're now not going to make yourself sick, right? right? Because I think that's the multi-generational element of this that has never been addressed on this podcast, which is we all likely have these microbes in our system that can make us chronically ill. We are all, I think most of us are managing this um, until we can't. And one of the things that will put you in a position of not being able to manage this, if you're a Lyme mom, is that is that you are you are in constant fight or flight because everybody's causing you to doubt whether or not your gut is right, and you can't you can't allow people to do that, right? It's not good for your children. But I'm going to argue most importantly, you know, go back to the metaphor of when you're on the plane, you got to put the you have to put the air on your face first before you put it on the child, right? Very, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we we can't forget about that, right? Because because this is where you are and now. And now, another one of the things that again, I want to I want to I want to um, argue to you, right? Another thing that's happening in your mind that I that I observed with you is is you're now starting to feel some wife guilt, right? My husband is twelve years older than me. He's got to be able to enjoy the rest of his life. I've got to get better. You know, no, 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 no. Your husband's okay, Carrie. Your husband's okay. <laughs> What Carrie needs to do is focus on Carrie, and what Carrie needs to do is make sure that she goes through her recovery, and what Carrie needs to do is make sure that her mindset stays in that learning um, environment, out of fight or flight, where your body can recover, go through your neural retraining, and stay focused on getting you better, and guess what? Then everyone will be okay. You're right. You're right about that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, uh, you you blessed us with this really beautiful podcast, and I you know I, I I am so blessed to have met you, and we are so blessed to have you on here today, and uh, you know, and I'm really blessed to have been you know more of a witness to this beautiful conversation you and Cassidy had. It's not uh, not a surprise to me that this was going to be a brilliant podcast with the brilliant Cassidy Colbert, not Colbert. Uh, yes, and uh, wonderful. Always, always blesses us. So, so is there anything either one of you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind down this you know this this beautiful podcast? Cassidy? I just wanted to say, I already said it to you before, Carrie, I think you are a super mom. I think you are just a superhuman in general too. And like Rich said, the I've been in this journey for 11 years and that guilt mindset pops up and kind of how you all were just talking about the mindset and how everyone has different, the framework can work, but it also something can trigger it and you get back into that fight or flight. I had just realized that I was in fight or flight for like three months, a few months ago. And then I was like, Whoop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, once I, once I noticed that it's like someone just like said one thing to me and I was like, yep, that's what I've been doing for the last three months <laughs> and had to, but I had the tools in place. So getting my body back to regular, like back to regulation was so much quicker. So yeah. just continue to have like build your toolbox. I yeah. always have, like, we all have a lime toolbox Yes, and all this knowledge, the Tick Bootcamp podcast is front and center in that toolbox. Yes. But using all the knowledge that is out there, using the support system, the Lyme community is like no other community. I think, like I said, we are very lucky to be part of this community. I agree. I agree. We're blessed and we're blessed with this podcast. 
I learn a whole lot. It makes you not feel so lonely too, you know, when you you get to hear. And every every one of them has positives in it. So we just got to keep on with that. And this one has a ton of positives. So I'm really excited for folks to listen to this. And one of the things that Cassidy has said to you that uh, is that dozens of people are going to learn from you. As it turns out, thousands of people are going to learn from you because we're getting on average 50,000 downloads per episode. So be prepared for your, your beautiful story to be heard by people all around the world and all of the really cool things that you've learned as a mom with Lyme, as a child with Lyme, and now as a person who is managing um, her own recovery of Lyme, you're going to be helping other people in this world. And the mindset that I urge everyone to have is that of a learner servant, where we are serving other people in this community and we're serving other people the way God made us to serve. And we are constantly having a mindset where we are learning. So we're not triggered into fight or flight and it's helping us on our recovery. So again, I thank, I thank uh, you, Carrie, for joining us. And, and, and of course, as always, Cassidy Colbert to, uh, for taking time out of her really busy schedule to join us here on Tick Bootcamp. Thank you both. Thank you.